Mac Power Users, Episode 595, The Poetic Mike Vardy. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm joined today by Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Excellent, man. Excellent. And we've got a guest today, one of my favorite people on the internet. Welcome to the show, Mike Vardy. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm glad to be back. Uh, now, Mike, we've had you on some of my other shows. I don't know. Have you ever been on the Mac Power Users? Mm-hmm. Back in the Katie days. Ah, <laughs> oh, see? Well, now we've got you here in the Steven days. Yeah. And Mike's got a lot of interesting stuff that he does. He's running the website called Productivityist.com. Uh, which is, I believe, gonna the name is gonna change of the website, Mike. Yeah, we're we're leaning heavily back into uh, just Mike Vardy because uh, it's interesting. The journey started off as Vardy.me, then it became Productivityist.com, and it kind of became more of a nameless, faceless thing with other people involved as well. And the people that follow my work over the past decade plus said, "No, we want more Mike Vardy. We want more of you." And so I'm leaning back in the direction, and I own MikeVardy.com, so we're gonna head in that direction. Good for you, man. So so it's productivityist.com, but MikeVardy.com will also get you there. Or will it get you there now? Is it'll already get you there now. Yep, it'll get okay, you there now. Good. And then Mike's got an excellent podcast called the Productivityist Podcast, which is also changing names to a productive a productive conversation. And um that's gonna be a good one too. So uh but in addition to being a very clever fellow who's helping people become more productive. Mike is also a first order Apple nerd and has a lot of thoughts on Apple tech and has been using it to get his work done for a long time. So we're looking forward to having you in today, Mike, to pick your brain on a few things. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, especially since things have changed a lot since the last time I was on. And even since the last time I saw you, Stephen, back when we were at, we're back at Macworld many, many moons ago at the yeah. Chieftain, I think it was. <laughs> it was like a decade ago. It's very Easily. upsetting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one of the things I'll tease that Mike is doing some really cool stuff with uh, sort of project management calendars and email using some third party services, some of which, frankly, I'd never heard of before. And uh, this is going to be a fun show if you're looking for ways to manage that stuff better. Mike's got a lot of interesting ideas and thoughts. But, you know, we always got to start, Mike, with uh, with your gear. What's on your desk today? Oh, what's not on my desk? I've got... Uh... So if I'm going left to right, I've got my um, Gather by Ugmunk, which has all of my uh, pens, which are some of which are Baron Fig pens and some of which are pens from Goldspot, the fountain pens that are there. Then I've got my Monk Manual. I have my uh, my iPhone is sitting here charging right now along with my AirPods Pro. Uh, I've got a Timular here, a Timular tracking device. Uh, <laughs> all right. Wait, we just got to stop, man. You're going too fast. All right. Yeah. So... <laughs> So Ugmunk is a company that makes really cool stuff for your desk. I mean, that's kind of their thing. Yeah. Um, and they, they also have like a daily planner. That's the one with the disk system planner. Is that the one you're using? Well, no, the one I have actually, which if, as I was making my, if I'm looking straight ahead, I have the analog cards in front of me. Yeah. They're right yeah. below. They actually block the Apple logo on yeah. my, on my iMac because I've got the stand for it too. Sure. Sure. And it's like a note card you can write your tasks on for the day, and you can just have it right in front of your face. Yeah, uh, we we actually interviewed that guy over on the Focus podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes for that that show. It's funny. It's like hipster PDA two point oh. 
really in a lot yeah, of ways. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like a nice improvement. Yep. And and there is something said to be said for writing down five key tasks and and sticking it, you know, in front of your face all day, no matter what app you have open. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Um, but also you you invoke the word timular, which a bunch of our listeners are going to be sitting there scratching their heads. So so what is timular? So timular is an eight-sided uh physical time tracker. Basically looks like an eight-sided die. And each side, uh, you could put, um, you know, you can label as you see fit. So it comes with some labels. You can also get other labels or actually write directly on it. And it syncs with the app, which you can get for your desktop machine, your laptop. I have the iOS app that I'm using. And it tracks what the amount of time you're spending on each side. So, for example, right now I have it on the audio side because I'm doing audio work because I'm on this podcast. So it will be tracking how long I'm spending doing that. And then when I'm done that, I'll put it back on its stand. And if I decide to track something else that's on that side, I will flip it. So it's 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 a it's a handy little device. And I like it because it's visible. I can see it. I don't like time trackers that I can't see because I either forget to turn them off or um, I don't go look at them when I want to analyze what's going on. And this thing actually is is small enough that it fits on my desk, but also uh, bold enough that I'm able to kind of look at it and use it regularly. It's not when you say it looks like a die. It's not like die size. It's much no, it's bigger big. than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, it's a bigger it's a bigger unit. But I like it because I, each side is kind of representative of one of my themes or modes that I want to work uh, on or in throughout the course of the day. Yeah, I know a lot of people really like that because the physicality of it. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to miss it. So like when you switch to research mode. Mm-hmm. And you look down on the little microphone for audio mode is looking at you. You know, you need to switch your your timular. It it does. They've got a little better with that over uh, the recent months about trying to integrate it with things like um, Toggle and some of the other online time services. Um, but in my experience, it's really best just to use with its own software. It doesn't really it doesn't really do that good of a job of syncing. No, it, it definitely is kind of its own island to a degree. And what, what they've also done, because I was one of the first 100 backers. This is like the one of the original 100, I think, that I have here. And so much so that it's got like the coin, the CR2032 battery in it that I have to replace. It's not the rechargeable one. But what I do like that they've done with the software over the years is that you can add other profiles. So you can switch profiles. So you could actually have more than one side, like one more than one thing per side if you want to by just mm. changing a profile. But also, I think the bigger thing is they've got hashtags. So if you want to get a little bit more granular about what kind of stuff you were working on while it was on that side, you can do it as well and you can analyze all that. So they've, they've made it a bit more comprehensive. Yeah. No, it, it's a nice device, though. I, I agree. Also, uh, I think you have a Mac or two, don't you? I do. So I have <laughs> my, my iPad Pro, uh, which is basically my laptop. Uh, and I also have an iMac, which is one that it, it's, it's the next thing that's getting replaced in my in my uh, Apple ecosystem. That's for sure. All right. Which iMac do you have? Tw- late 2014. It's the 27 inch Retina 5K, I think. So it's uh, it's got 16 gigs of RAM. But now that I'm doing more YouTube videos. It's kind of showing its age. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm holding out. I'm holding I'm holding out for yeah. the next level of iMac. And then I will replace this guy. I was like, now is not the time to replace a seven-year-old iMac. If you can help it, if you want the big one. Uh, you're so close. 
It, it is. I'm like waiting. And I mean, I've had issues where it's like I get the, the beach ball every once in a while. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just just a little longer. Just a little long. Get me through the summer, maybe into the mm-hmm. late fall. I'll be OK. <laughs> now, now, you mentioned the the iPad Pro is your notebook. Yeah. Uh, what was that transition like? What pushed you over the edge? Well, I think the the reason is the bang for the buck that you get out of a desktop versus uh, a, a laptop. I did have a MacBook Pro uh, for quite a while. I think it was a 2015, and my daughter now uses it for her for her computer. But I wanted more screen real estate, number one, and I didn't want to buy another another uh, display because I do have limited space in my study here. But also, I knew I needed something for travel. You know, when I leave Canada and go to the states and other places for work. But I also know that I didn't want to have a laptop because sometimes it can get a bit. I mean, I've been on the side of the uh, the search where it's like, let me take a look at your laptop doing all this stuff. Most I didn't really want to deal with all that stuff. Um, most uh, most people tend to use iPads for content consumption rather than content creation. At least that's the way it used to be. Now I know there's a lot more advanced uh, capabilities with iOS to be able to use it for creation, which I've always done. And so I wanted something that was lightweight, powerful. And also could give me that portable computing power that I would need when I'm traveling, but also have enough screen real estate that it wasn't like a smaller iPad or even, you know, I used to have an iPhone 8 plus. So I'm like, oh, well, I could use this. Uh, My eyes are not what they used to be. So having this, this guy along with the Apple pencil has been, uh, has been, you know, a great addition. And it's actually the device I tend to use the most. That's cool. I mean, that you're getting by with it. Um, what are the uh, what? Are, what's the type of work you do on the iPad versus the iMac? Main, mainly writing, a lot of writing on there. I use drafts on there. Um, I do a lot of my task management on there because there's some stuff that I don't need to be on my machine, like my my iMac for that. Uh, a lot of uh, reading because I don't have a Kindle, uh, so a lot of reading happens on my iPad and. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are the primary things I do on, on, on the iPad. When it comes to the, the iMac is really for audio and video work. for and, and actually, when I'm posting things, although I have my team members generally post things to WordPress, to the, the, the website and that at this point, because and ConvertKit and all that stuff, because they can do it. So I get them to do that. But a lot of, main, a lot of writing and a lot of reading on that iPad. I think you're going to really like the iOS 15 improvements because for the stuff you're describing, you know, the easier multitasking and the, the widgets on the home screen are going to help you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can say that now with, I mean, the other day I just streamed live to YouTube and uh, because I have this ATEM mini here, I can, the ATEM mini pro, I can actually plug the iPad into it and show stuff on the iPad as well, which is kind of nice. So I do tend to use it in that, uh, in that instance as well. It's very easy for me to just plug it in and uh, show what you know what I'm doing with task management on my iPad and some of the other things I do there. But yeah, I mean, I I know that some of the changes that they've got for iOS 15 is going to make the iPad Pro even more powerful for me. And and honestly, when this computer, this iMac, finally decides that it's not going to do what it needs to do anymore, I wanted uh, it makes the choice that much easier to say I'm going to go for an iMac rather than get a MacBook Pro or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, what were the sharp edges, or did you hit any sharp edges after you stopped using the MacBook Pro as your travel machine and the iPad instead? Uh, certain things didn't work in iOS very easily. I can tell you one very uh, clear example: Typeform didn't like <laughs> didn't like working on on mobile uh, browsers very well. And we used Typeform when we were submitting our ad uh, air checks 
for ads that we would air on my podcast. So I actually had to, I remember I had to actually call someone uh, that I trust. I think it was my brother-in-law. And I said, hey, can you go in and do this for me? Because I can't do it from my machine. And he did it. That was one thing. So there was some, um, since then, once I found that point of friction, I've, I've just had somebody else do it for me from now on. But I, I think the biggest thing was WordPress stuff initially in ConvertKit, like being able to use those tools on the iPad directly. That was a pain point. Text expand, like the key, the text expander stuff with text expander was a bit tricky for me to navigate at first. I've since, you know, kind of worked through that. But the stuff I was doing on my laptop, because I had the iMac, I would just, you know, say, okay, well, this is stuff I do when I'm in my study. And if when I get to my study, I will do that. So I had to prepare accordingly when I traveled. And then that way, when I was on my iPad, I could do a bunch of pretty much everything else that I needed to do. Have you ever experimented with like remote access where you could, you know, you could literally tunnel into your iMac to do that stuff remotely off your iPad? I contemplated it, but then I remembered that I have a 2014 iMac, so I didn't know how well that would work. Yeah. So I, I, I tended to steer clear of, uh, steer clear of that. Um, but it's something like, I mean, as I improve my tech stack, uh, you know, in terms of computing power, it's definitely something that, especially now that I've got the brand new iPhone. I mean, there's lots of things that I know I want to be able to do once I get the new iMac or a new iMac. (laughs) I really think that's an option a lot of people don't consider. And there's a lot of great apps. I mean, like a jump desktop, if you're a set app subscriber is free. So you already have it and you can just install the host software in your iMac and tunnel in from your iPad. I do that and it works fine. You know, it's, it's great. And I, uh, I'm often able to get back to a Mac to do Mac-like things off an iPad with that. But but I'm always like trying to push the iPad too hard. I think that's that's <laughs> one of my reckonings I've been going through lately. Yeah. That's that's good to hear that you're being you're able to get a lot of your work done though on iPad. And and you said you got the new iPhone? Yeah, I got the I mean that was one thing that I had an iPhone 8 Plus and uh my dog basically what would happen is we, you know, I'm the hand-me-down guy in the family, right? So everyone would yeah. get the, you know, my old phone. And uh, my daughter's phone was like the iPhone 6. And it was just, and she's a teenager now, and it just wasn't cutting it, especially since she was had a part-time job and she was trying to figure out bus schedules and it was just too slow. So of course, my I, I perked up and said, well, time for new iPhones. And my wife's like, oh, great. So we know what you're going for. And I did. I got the iPhone 12 Pro Pacific Blue Edition. Um, and, uh, I love it. I, I mean, it's, it, I hadn't, I mean, again, I didn't go for, I mean, it, that, that was the longest I had been between, you know, new iPhones is, is the eight plus. It was the largest margin. And my daughter has my eight plus now and she likes it. But, uh, and my wife just got the, I think it was the SE. Like she didn't really need anything crazy because we just upped our contracts and she just got the SE. I, uh, took a photo my, my kids got me you know the white vision from uh, wandavision they got me that funko pop but they got me the glow in the dark edition okay. so i had to go and i i left the funko pop in the sun and then went to take a picture of it in a dark room and i took the photo with my the iphone pro and it looks amazing like the photo quality was stunning in complete darkness with this glow in the dark vision uh so i'm like oh this is this is amazing so i love this i love this device and i'm definitely getting a lot out of it it's kind of ridiculous how good they are. Like it, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Especially when you're going from an eight to a twelve. I mean, the jump in camera quality oh, yeah. is like Ugh. massive. That's the real trick, honestly, is to skip mm-hmm. a couple of generations and you your upgrade to feel bigger. You know, if you're like 
two other people on this podcast, you upgrade every year. And it's like, ah, oh, it's nice, but you don't get that big, like monumental leap. Yeah. And, and the thing is, if, uh, like to your point, David, how you like to push the iPad, I like to push at this point in my kind of Apple journey, I like to push my technology as far as it will go until I need to upgrade. And then, um, but not to the point where I've reached so much friction that it's impossible for me to do what I need to do. Right. And then yeah. at that point, it's like, it's like, so for example, with video, my iMac may not necessarily be able to handle some of the stuff on like, say, DaVinci Resolve or something like that. But my iPad Pro can run LumaFusion like crazy. So I will do some video editing on the on that. But if I find I'm doing too much editing on the iPad Pro, which I am noticing, then I'm like, okay, I need to this. That's a pain point. And I'm making note of it. And the same thing happened with the phone. Like, and my daughter loves the iPhone 8 Plus because now she's got portrait mode, which she didn't have before with photos. So she's thinking this is amazing. Meanwhile, I mean, I showed her the photo of white vision glowing in the dark. She goes, that's like, did you, how did you get that photo? I'm like, I went into the closet with the device, <laughs> took the photo and she's like, was it pure darkness? I'm like, yeah. She goes, okay, I want that phone now. Like that was yeah. big, but yeah. she's gonna have to wait until I get the iPhone 15 16. probably or 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the naming naming scheme will be different by then. I don't want to say <laughs> iPhone 16 on a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. You it's will, like, though. Yeah. You will, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the um, occasional guest, Ian Bird, a uh, really smart guy, once said that he uses his iPad to figure out where he should be delegating things. Where, you know, like you, he primarily uses his iPad for mobile. And whenever he hits a friction point, he considers that an alarm bell that it's something he probably shouldn't be doing anyway. And I love that outlook to it. Like, okay, uh, I'm having a hard time doing this manual thing. I should delegate that to someone else anyway. And um, I thought that was one of the most enlightened ways to look at iPad limitations that I've ever heard. The interesting thing about being able to use the iPad, and I think we talked about this, David, because I, I reached out to you back when I was trying to go iPad only. And you said, there's going to be some things you can't do. And you brought that up, like figure out by by making that choice, you'll figure out what you can and can't do and whether or not you can go without a laptop or whether you, you, you know, you, you can't. And I figured out pretty quickly that I could uh, because it just it forced me to delegate some stuff, stuff that I may not have considered delegating or and, and again, this lends right into the productivity stuff that I talk about or things that I wasn't delegating that I should be because those things were easier for me to do and the hard, harder, more, you know, impactful stuff that only I could do. I was avoiding just to do some of this quote busy work or this this stuff that I could very easily delegate. That's the dream, baby. Yep. Yep. I'm, and I'm and I'm excited for what when I get this new machine, I'm excited because. I'll be able to do more with it, but I'm also hesitant because I'm like, well, maybe there's some things I shouldn't be doing at all that this machine, you know, that, that I, I will be able to do. So I have to keep that in check as well. Well, going from a 2014 iMac to an Apple Silicon M1X, I guess that's what they think they're going to call it now. That is going to be like going from an iPhone 2 to an iPhone 12. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be, it is going to be a jump, brother. You're in for some good times. But isn't it amazing that, you know, the stuff you can do still on an older, like the, Apple would get a bad rap for a while. I mean, and I used to work at an Apple reseller and people would say, you know, oh man, I have to, you know, replace these machines often. And I'm like, I don't think, I mean, I think even to this day, 
the technology for the best, for the, for, for lack of better term, it can last. Like it depends on what you, I mean, my wife's a great example. She actually has the new MacBook Air and I had, you know, tech envy because she couldn't, she needed a machine and it, the fact it was like lightning fast opening, all that stuff. And I, I know we talked about it, David privately. I was like, I want this machine. And, and, uh, I thought, no, this is not the machine I want. This is, it's good that she's got a new machine, but it's, it's, it's amazing how that I can still do a lot of what I need to do on a machine that's seven, almost oh, seven yeah. years old. Yeah. Apple's really done a good job of that. And if your machine's got an SSD in it or it has a hard drive and you can have an SSD put in it, it, it really is uh, astounding. You can get to a point where your hardware is still running, but you, you know, you're left behind by Mac OS releases and Monterey uh, moves up the system requirements. It'll drop a lot of machines, but it really is saying something, especially on the iMac, uh, on the iMac or like the Mac, I mean, like a desktop machine that, you know, is not in a backpack, not being slung through airports. They can just run and run and run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my daughter has my 2015 MacBook Pro, which I couldn't use all that much anymore, which is weird because it didn't have some of the power that I that I was using, which I, which surprised me. Um and uh, she's going to I think she's going to get more out of it because the machine she was using before that was a 2011 MacBook Air that we finally offloaded earlier this year. We just and we sold and we and we were still able to offload it for like I think it was like 200 bucks. Yeah. Up until the M1 Apple uh, MacBook Air, my wife was using a 10 year old laptop and she really wasn't complaining that much. It, it's pretty staggering to me. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I actually you mentioned setup, which I use as well. When my wife got her new MacBook Air, I said, you know, what if we just installed setup on your machine and just use, and she's been doing that. A lot of the stuff she could use, so she went with a clean install because it was a brand new machine and she just used setup and pretty much everything that she's using on there is a setup uh, app. So that's another thing too, is like the the software, the some of the stuff that they're doing, you can actually get by with just doing a, you know, you you. For me, I, I, I'm I'm almost looking at that too. Like, do I need everything that's on this one right now, right out of the box, or can I do a fresh install and and just try to get get by or or use what setup offers and 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 see how that far that takes me? That'll be an interesting experiment I might try. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by One Password. One Password is the tool I trust to keep my stuff secure. Why do you ask? Because it's what keeps my passwords secure. Everything from Twitter and Instagram and other social media accounts to things like my email, my login to my various uh, bank accounts, on and on. All of it is in 1Password. And with 1Password for Families, I can share that with my wife, Mary, really easily. 1Password for Families starts at $4.99 per family of five per month. You can try it free for 14 days at onepasswordcom slash MPU. But I got to tell y'all, it really is fantastic to be able to share these logins and secure notes and everything else with family members. And it can be more than just a spouse or a partner. If you have parents or children, you can set up different vaults. And so you can really control who sees what. And as the family manager, you can manage it all on the web with onepasswordcom and its excellent user management tools. So once again, that's onepasswordcom slash MPU. Go there now for a 14-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepasswordcom slash MPU. 
So, Mike, you uh, you mentioned earlier that you are working with a team. Uh, I'd love to hear some about that and how you handle team communication. So we used to use Slack a lot, and it was mainly because it was the the devil you knew to a degree, right? Like people knew what it was like. And my team is distributed. I have a my podcast producers in Europe. My two of my assistants are in the Philippines, and then I have another assistant uh, that was in the U.S. I now have an assistant that's local, which makes it, you know, a little bit easier. But Slack was the thing that everybody kind of knew. But the problem is that uh, it's still somewhat disconnected. Like you can create integrations with Slack that can connect to your different task management tools and all that stuff. But when I when I uh, was approached a couple of years ago by a company who wanted to advertise on my podcast uh, named Front, I was really intrigued because Front App which is what we use for our email and our communication now for anything that's related to, you know, productivity based stuff. It's been amazing because what we can do is we can have all of the email accounts associated with the company in front. I can give access to multiple people to those accounts and they work out of front. So everything is happening in front. They're not going to Gmail or Google apps or any of these other mail apps. And if I get an email sent to me that I don't want to deal with, instead of me forwarding it to them or adding it to ClickUp, which is what we use for task management, I can I can do I can just assign it to them in front, and it shows up in their um, in their assigned area in front. So if I get an email sent to askmike at productivityist.com, and it's somebody that wants to you know like buy a uh, a link post or or be a guest or something like that. I don't deal with those emails. So I just assign them to one of the teammates and boom, they get it. Plus we can have conversations about that email inside of the discussion area with that email attached, but it doesn't show up as part of the email in line. So it's a private discussion. We can create other discussions around it. And plus, if we decide that an email needs to go into ClickUp, there's ClickUp integration built in. So we could do that. Our calendar is built in there too. Front's got calendar integration. So We've kind of gone all in on front and have left slack in the dust when it comes to team communication. Plus, the other thing, and I forgot to mention this, is I can attach my social media accounts to it as well. So I can see any mentions that Productivity or Mike Vardy gets on Twitter or anything like that. So it's really become like this communications hub, and it kind of bridges the gap that I think uh, is missing between email management and task and project management because – the old way I used to do it was I would take an email. Oh, this is a task. I need to put it into my task management app. I don't necessarily need to do that with every single email now because number one, I don't want it to overwhelm my my project management tool or my task management tool. But number two, some people, I mean, some of my teammates may not even need to, they now have two places they can look front for certain things that are related to communications and then uh, click up for task and project related things. You know, it's impressive, but looking at the website, I don't really understand what they do. (laughs) I mean, it's like, (laughs) it looks to me kind of like a a shared email platform, which you described, but then you say, well, I can replace Slack with it and I can do all these other things. Can you just kind of give us a, and understand a lot of people are driving down the freeway right now, so they can't look at it. Just give a kind of what, what do you see when you open front and what are the features so it, when you open it up, it does kind of look like an email application because that's their that's their primary, right? So you get the sidebar that has the, you know, it has the email accounts listed. So if I'm looking at it right now, 
um, I have all of my email accounts that are listed for myself in the upper left-hand column. And then in the lower left-hand column, it's all the team ba- the team inboxes that they call. So I have my hello email there, my podcast one, and I can see all of them. But I don't, and then there's below that is what's called assigned conversations. So that's where you can assign conversations to your teammates. And I can see all of them there. So I can see Vanessa, I can see Aza, I can see Jay, and any conversations that are assigned there. I, and, and I can generally not look at those if I don't want to. I can go into them and look every once in a while and see are they making progress with those conversations? Plus, I get notifications. If there's a discussion that I need to deal with, I see anything that's assigned to me in my left-hand side. So if somebody gets an email to the podcast email, let's say, and they need me to look at it, they can just assign it to me. And then it shows up in my assigned to me box here, and I can look at it and then decide what I'm going to do with it. I can add a comment because in the the right-hand pane, it shows the email, but also I can add a comment. I can tag someone in and say, you know, yes, I'd like to have this person as a guest. And I mentioned the person that and I can assign it back to them and they can take care of it. Um, so it, it, there is a lot of ebb and flow with email here, but I can also do things like, again, on, on the left-hand side, I can also see, like I'm looking right now at my Twitter and uh, somebody mentioned, uh, uh, you know, one of the people from Holstein mentioned me on Twitter and another person mentioned that they received swag from me and I can see that mentioned there too. So I don't need to go into social media necessarily to look and see what's going on. So it, it does look like more of a traditional email program uh, at first glance, but there's a lot under the hood. And that's probably why, I mean, it, it's one of those things that you kind of need to dive into it. And it's, it's, I've grown with it too. So as I've used it initially for email, I've added more to it. And by doing that, like by learning about discussions and learning about social media, I've been able to remove some of those other tools that were in our stack that we don't need to be using anymore, like Slack, like uh um, Hootsuite or whatever tools we were using for social media, I can kind of look at them in one dashboard, which is what Front gives me. And is it web-based? Is it Mac? Is it mobile? It's web-based. Okay. And there is an iOS app. So I look at it on iOS as well. But I think it's, I, I'm leaning more, especially now with with productivity, especially there's a lot of people that I, I I used to get this all the time, like, oh, it's an Apple product or it's Mac OS only or it's iOS only. Forget it. Like it was very dismissive. There's people who are so anti-Apple that it it became something I was noticing more and more. So I try to find, you know, platform agnostic tools as much as possible to work on, especially since when I'm working with a team, they may not necessarily be using Apple products, right? I know two of my team members, for example, do not. So this is web-based. But there is also an Android app. There is an iOS app. So uh, that's I generally I actually spend a lot of time on the iOS app. And then when you run your email out of it, are you attaching your your email domains to front, or are you just forwarding yep. them from your system? I mean, yeah. So when you set it up, you add your own. I mean, I we use apps. Google, you know, Google Apps is where our emails are hosted, right? Because yeah. of you know, we're, so we you just give your Google credentials in like you normally would for any other. Uh, email platform. And uh, then it it syncs. So if I went to Gmail, I could see all this stuff too. If I went to apps.google.mail or mail.google.com, I could see it as well. So it's it's not changing your DNS records. It's just nope. forwarding. Nope. It's just, it's just forwarding. Well, it, it's not that expensive. I mean, for people out there thinking about something like this, like a starter edition, if you have a company of 10 or under is $20 or $19 per person per month. Yep. Um, running a business that's not 
that's not a terrible expense for, I mean, you, you've seen services like this cost much more. Uh, and now you've been using it for years, right? I've been using it for a couple of years now. And, uh, the one thing I, the reason that I've stuck with it, I mean, you, you, I mean, there are so many things I can do with it, but also it's lowered the training or the, the friction that can happen when you're moving between app and app and app. Right. So, uh, and Slack, I know, and, uh, I was talking to one of my team members when I said, this is a couple of years ago, I said, Oh, we use Slack for communication. And they showed me how many Slack workspaces they had. And I'm like, Oh, great. So it's become the Slack has become the very thing that it was designed to prevent, which was email overload. Now you've got Slack workspace overload. So it kind of separates this a little bit. And what's interesting is the team members that I work with, they actually use front just for our email, and then they use whatever other email app they use for their personal email, which means that there's a definite segmentation there too. So the the likelihood of them accidentally sending an email from their personal domain instead of from the company domain isn't there, all that stuff. One thing I, I'm still a little confused about is is the Slack replacing, because all these screenshots I'm looking at are of emails. It's like, how do you have yep. like a contemporary slack style communication separate from a particular email and there is there is a discussions uh, area too so that okay. falls outside of the so you can have conversations around emails but there's also a discussion so you can create a conversation just like when you compose something if i click on the compose button i can either compose a new email and there's a drop down arrow next to it so i can compose a new email message or a new discussion and the discussions are internal and the email messages are external and you told me before we started recording today, you have moved, you have even moved your personal email into this. Yeah, it's in there because I can actually respond pretty quickly from, I mean, it, it, I want to get better at using front overall. There's, I mean, it can, uh, there's elements where you can even use this for your, uh, if you want to have like chatbot stuff on your website, you could even use that there. So I'm looking into that a bit more. But the other reason is because I've got the integrations to Todoist built into it. I, I just can, you know, if I want to send personal stuff to Todoist, it's just easier for me to do it from here than say from, you know, any other email app that I might have been using. I just want to lower the amount of it's that old Homer Simpson thing. I maybe get to the point where it's like every time I learn something new, something old falls out of my brain. I want to keep that from happening yeah. uh, when it comes to this. So that's why. One of the things I do notice is that they have a tagging system built in, which I presume works across platform if it's a web based mm -hmm. service. So that's nice. Yep. Um, yeah, it looks like a very interesting solution. I don't know how this never landed on my radar before because it, it seems like a very good solution. I hear from a lot of listeners who have small businesses and are looking for things like this. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And uh, I mean, I've, I, I've had a chance to talk to the founders and such, and they are committed to kind of making, making the whole process of communication better. And when I said like this to me is like a great bridge between email management and task management, they not, they're like, okay, you get it. <laughs> Cause that's, I think what they're trying to do. Now, um, how do you avoid uh, front communications becoming segmented the way Slack and, and traditional email do? That's, that's something that we do with internally. So if we have a discussion that pops up and it needs to be something that's turned into a task or we find it's becoming something that's bigger than just some piece of communication, we then create a task around it inside of ClickUp because then there's actions around it. And then we can have conversations or discussions around projects and tasks inside of ClickUp. So the way we have conversations inside of Front is the same way we had them inside of Slack. It's not related necessarily to a 
project or a task, it's usually related to, around something bigger, like an initiative or or planning or something like that. Once it turns into something real, like something that we know we want to, you know, kind of attach some dates and, and and milestones to, that's when we know we need to get it out of front and into ClickUp. And we can even turn a discussion into a task in ClickUp as well. So that friction gets removed immediately as soon as we say, hey, you know what, guys, we're going to turn this into something in ClickUp. Let's take this to ClickUp. And then we turn it into a task or 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 a it's largely a task. You can convert a task to a project and click up as well. But we initially turn it into a task. And normally, whenever we do it, it's let's look at breaking this thing into something, you know, actionable inside of ClickUp. We bring it over to ClickUp and start doing it that way. Now, the website makes reference to um, automation on yep. your email. Um, have you used that? And how does it compare to traditional email tools? I've not used it all that much, to be honest. Um, the things I've used that, and again, there's some redundancy here. We've used the email templates, and there's a lot of them, but that gets some redundancy with Text Expander for me because I use a lot of Text Expander snippets with emails. So, what it's done is uh, if I don't want to use Text Expander for Teams, which I do love, some of my team members don't aren't familiar with Text Expander or don't really know how to use it, it kind of bridges that gap. So, we've used that snoozing. I've used some snoozing features on there, of course, uh, but not really any of the automation stuff yet. There's so much under the hood with this with Front that I haven't really uh, gone as deeply as I plan to, which is, again, one of the reasons why I'm using my personal email in there as well. What what did you lose when you made the switch? I mean, having used traditional Gmail or or mail applications, uh, what are the features you feel like you lost? In terms of features I lost, I don't think I really lost anything other than time in the training time of getting used to figuring out what I wanted to use. I can tell you I lost some SaneBox features, which I liked. Yeah. Um, and I've been contemplating whether or not that's going to be worth it in the end, because I do like how I've had some automation set up in SaneBox. Maybe that's why I haven't explored the automations all that much. So that's been something that I felt needed to be rewired a bit. But by and large, I mean, I guess it's just the familiarity that that I've 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 I felt was a bit of a a, a boundary for me or an obstacle to get past. But by and large, like front has pretty much everything I need. It, it almost seems like, and I don't know, wouldn't Sanebox work if this is just plugging into your IMAP protocol? It would. It would. I just need to make sure that it doesn't, um, I don't cross wires. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I want to make sure that, and that's one of the, that's one of the things that I didn't like about Gmail in general is, you know, where are things? How are they showing up? Filters? Do they work all the time? Do they not work all the time? So automation to me, I mean, the best kind of automation for me is the one, the automation that's between your ears. So I haven't tried it from scratch inside of Front yet, but if I, but it's, it would be ideal because I use SaneBox or used SaneBox to kind of help me with my email workflow. I have this workflow where if I know that an email, so I'll give you a quick example. If I get an email from a potential podcast guest I don't generally deal with those right away. I wait until the daily theme of podcasting or audio video, which is Tuesday. So I would say I have a, I had a same Monday, same Tuesday, same Wednesday, and I would move it to that. And then on Tuesday, it would bring it back to the four. Right. So I miss that. And that's, I would probably have to, I, would, I don't know that I'd have to rewrite it or recalibrate it, but it's definitely something that I've been thinking about. So in a lot of systems like OmniFocus, uh, people really appreciate a review process or review system. And David has talked a lot about this over the years where every week, month, quarter, whatever you go through your projects and tasks and, and see, you know, if what you have is 
still where you want to be. I would imagine in a system like this with front that there are a lot of little cubbies that things could end up in and maybe overlooked. Do you all have a review process? Do you have someone who's sort of in charge of what's in there? Or have you found that it, it works itself out? It tends to work itself out, but the more I've added people to it, yeah, the more you add people, the more that everyone has their own kind of way of approaching things. So we are going to have to put in place somebody who kind of audits it, like goes through and says, okay, who doesn't have their conversations that were assigned to them taken care of yet? Does this, and and really all it would be is them going in and creating a, uh, uh, mentioning, putting a comment into those emails saying, hey, how are you doing with this? I've had to do that a few times. Like, hey, have you responded to this? What's going on with this? That kind of thing. And that I could see becoming, I wouldn't say an issue, but the more you grow your team inside of a tool like this, like you would inside of any team-based task management tool or team-based tool, you need to kind of have somebody that, you know, kind of patrols it a little bit and make sure that things are moving forward in the right direction, especially if you're working with a team that is distributed and maybe they're not only working with you, but they have all other clients because I do have a couple of assistants that work not just with me, but with others. So sometimes keeping having a watchdog approach wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for for a tool like this or ClickUp or Todoist or any task management tool. But I could see it happening. I've not noticed it to this degree yet, Stephen, but I but it's something I'm kind of keeping my eye on. And that's why I see every email account. So I can see what emails are being dealt with, which ones aren't. And then I can decide, do I even want to, do I want to dip my toe in and figure out what's going on here? Or do I want to leave it alone and see if it resolves itself? This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU. Stop drowning in email and get a $25 credit on any plan. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email programs and services, so you don't have to have a special app or sign up for some proprietary service. SaneBox starts with great email filtering. They've got the Sane Later folder that moves all the non-urgent stuff out of your inbox into the Later folder. I check that in the afternoon, and it's just fine. They also have the same black hole, where you can unsubscribe with one click. Get an email from someone you never want to hear from again, copy it into the same black hole, and you won't. There's also a snooze feature, which is great for deferring events until the next business day or the weekend. This is another feature I use all the time. But my favorite feature by far is Sane Reminders. You can blind copy or carbon copy any email you send to SaneBox.com. For instance, if you do one week at SaneBox.com. Now, if you don't receive a reply to that email in one week, SaneBox reminds you. I used to have a very complicated process for tracking when I sent an email out to make sure I got a reply. All of that went away with Sane Reminders. Now I just add a Sane Reminder, and SaneBox reminds me if I don't get a reply. It's awesome. And it's more than filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services, and they've got pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. You get a 14-day free trial. Just go to SaneBox.com slash MPU, and you get that $25 credit on any plan. Mac Power Users listeners are huge fans of SaneBox. We hear from so many of them that try it and sign up. The SaneBox people love Mac Power Users. That's why they give you the $25 credit. I told them I wanted the best possible deal for our listeners, and they gave it to us. So if you're struggling with email, stop messing around with all those weird rules and proprietary services. Go to SaneBox.com MPU today and sign up. Thanks, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. 
All right, Mike, you made mention of ClickUp uh, in the last segment, which was another web service new to me. I feel like I'm I'm out of the loop now. I have been looking at, at various services with my team, and uh, ClickUp is a team-based task management tool. So explain how you found that and what you're doing with it. We used Asana for a really long time uh, with my company because, I mean, I, I used Asana since it basically first started. And what I found is that uh, some of the development was not moving along as quickly as I would like. Plus, it was getting very, um, you weren't able to do as much with it as I, as, I, as I hoped. And I also think that they were looking beyond the small businesses to more enterprise. So a lot of the feature requests or a lot of the things that we were trying to get Asana to maybe do, they weren't really interested in. They were, they were, we were, we were, I wouldn't say beneath them, but they, we weren't their target market anymore. And ClickUp had been making some noise for a while. And I I looked at it, and what I liked about it is the sheer customization you could do with it. It kind of came along at the same time as Notion to a degree. But Notion, of course, being like a personal knowledge management tool that you could, you know, basically retool and, and configure the way you you want. ClickUp does a lot of that with task management. You can do KPIs, like key performance indicators and OKRs and all that stuff. They're built in. You can have mind mapping in it. You can have... Uh, Kanban style, uh, Gantt charts, like it had everything and the price was right. And so what I did was I actually found somebody that I knew was a ClickUp expert, um, Yvonne Hyman. And she uh, she walked me through it because she also was an Asana user and said, this is why I've gone down the road with ClickUp. I reached out to the folks at ClickUp. They were excited to hear that I was interested in looking at their platform Yvonne helped me a lot because she actually created some training materials for my team. And when they looked at it, they said, we should be, there's no doubt we should be using this over Asana. And we started and it's been really, really great. There's a lot of integrations that you can use that we're only scratching the surface with now. The custom fields are fantastic. Um, There's just a lot of uh, power. And again, you can kind of shape it the way that you want it to be for you and your team and uh, there's the the bookmarking tool is great, so you can you know have that web linking. It's all the stuff that you really want. And plus, they're they're making inroads with the VC community as well. They're not going anywhere. So I'm pretty happy about the choice to go with them because whenever I'm looking for a tool, I want it to be able to scale with me and and my team, and I get the support that I'm looking for. And the the folks at ClickUp are are checking off all those boxes. Okay. Once again, walk us through, what do you get when you, it's a web service, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do you get when you turn it on and, and what are the features you're using? So it's a, it's a web based, uh, service. You can, again, I have the iOS apps on my iPad and on my iPhone. And when you first open it up, you get your, you get your home screen and it shows your, your work to do. You can create what's called a lineup at the top, which is the things that you've decided really should be at the top of your list. So you can add those to the top so you can see your top priorities for the day. Um, There are tasks that are called trending that you could see on your homepage. So tasks that you've worked on the most. So it's really like there's a lot of robust tracking capabilities there. You could see your you can sync your calendar to it if you want. I don't have my calendar synced to it right now. But uh, you could see the work that you have to do, any comments that have been assigned to you, uh, anything you've done, and then anything that you've delegated. So you could actually say, hey, I want to I want to delegate this. And so that way I can keep tabs on, hey, what have I delegated to people? One of the things that you also can do is when instead of just checking off a box, 
you actually have stages. So you can create whatever level of stage or statuses rather. So you can see whatever level of status you want. So if you click on, like, you know how an OmniFocus and Todoist, you, you check the, the box and it completes it, right? Well, in this yeah. case, you could have whatever levels of status you want. You could have it's to-do, it's you need to approval, or maybe it's in progress, or you're waiting on something externally, and then you could mark it as complete. And when it's marked as complete, it goes away. You can have subtasks, attachments. It, you know, that's, that's what you see in the right-hand pane. Um, the left-hand pane, of course, has all of your tasks. It has any notifications you've received. You can have dashboards as well. So you can create a dashboard to kind of organize your projects. That's not unlike Asana as well. Asana has those. But you can also do things like have templated docs and stuff like that. So you can see like documents that you've put into the tool as well. So if you want to create some kind of... Um, uh, let's say a, a, a standard operating procedure or s something along those lines, you can have those there and people will be able to see those. Um, and then goals. I like this too. You can actually create goals inside of here. So we've done a few of those. And one of the goals, and you mentioned this off the top, David, is like the migration from productivityist to mikevardy.com. We want to have a set of milestones and the goals and how we want to accomplish that. So we can create those goals, you can break them down into those measurable targets, and then you can track your progress in real time. So it's it's a very robust task management tool, project management tool, and it's great for teams. I, I mean, in terms of personal use, I don't know that I would use this personally, simply because there's a lot there and it might be overwhelming. But when you're dealing with a distributed team, I think it's it's going to give tools like Asana and uh, you know other other tools that are in that space, Monday.com, a real run for their money. Have you played with the uh, the table tools? Because I think that's one of Notion's big selling points. But it, it looks like uh, they're putting tables in this app as well. I've not played with those yet, and I'm looking forward to it because I've not used. Uh, I mean, I played with no tables and Notions, and and of course, people like to, some people like to use Airtable for that sort of stuff. But the fact yeah. that they're bringing it into ClickUp, um, again, if I can do everything in like if I can do everything well in one place then it allows me to really dig deep and and, and uh, make things happen and be productive and, and have less friction. So I haven't looked at it yet. Um, the main things that we've kind of played with is like, so the podcast is where we've primarily been focusing our efforts on as we've migrated things from Asana over. And uh, that's been really, really interesting. My producer loves it because we can see what ads are there. We can insert the ad copy, the audiograms, all that stuff in this kind of either Kanban style. And, they, and that's the other great thing too, is people can look at it the way they want. So if you want to look at it in list view, you can. If you want to look at it in Kanban view, you can. But no one person needs to look at things the same way, which I also like because then it lets my my teammates work the, the way they want to work. So they can work kind of subjectively on the things that we want to do objectively. Yeah, this is thanks a lot for this, Mike. This is another rabbit hole I need to go down because I, I'm in the process <laughs> of... Um, of I, I'm using a combination of Basecamp and um, an Airtable, and uh, it's just not a good solution for my team members to have them jumping around in different apps, and they have different levels of comfort with them. I feel like I need to land on one thing that everybody can be in, and uh, now I've got to investigate this. So thanks for that. And I would say the best, like. Yvonne is a fantastic resource for this. She has a YouTube channel that she, it's called Ask Evie, and she goes over ClickUp, uh, you know, in 
if, if you're if you nerd out about Apple stuff and you want to have that same level of nerdery around ClickUp, uh, Yvonne is 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 your gal. Okay, well that that's good to know. And and once again, this is not break the bank expensive. I think it's five dollars per team member. If I'm mm-hmm. looking at this right. So yep. per month. Um, you know, I mean, it's not trivial to spend you know that kind of money every year. But on a business, it's not. You know, it's a it's a totally legitimate expense. Looking at this versus Notion, did you look at the other options when you decided on this, or or did you just immediately? I don't, I don't really like Notion for task and project management. I just don't feel like I don't feel that that's what it was designed to do. I know you can make it work that way, but I don't want to put the time and effort into doing that. I would rather. I mean, I, I people try to do that with Evernote when Evernote was like you know the 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 tool that people really wanted to stretch and see how much they could get out of it. I wanted a tool that could do a lot of it out of the box. And uh, while Notion has its its devotees, and I think that they're doing some amazing stuff where, you know, uh, with 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 that space, I don't like whenever anyone says, oh, I do project management or task management in Notion, I always kind of bristle a bit because I don't think that it's it's the best tool for that. So I didn't even actually consider Notion for for project or task management. I was looking at tools like, I mean, some people really like Trello, but I didn't really yeah. want to go down that pathway because again, the views are very static. You don't really get a lot of options. Um, we we were contemplating sticking with Asana, but we just didn't feel that the support was there for businesses of our size any longer. I even looked at Todoist because I used Todoist for my personal task management, but I just don't think it scales as well for larger teams. And I think there's a lot more power under the hood with, with ClickUp. So um, at the end of the day, I looked at what the options were and the one that seemed to check off the most boxes was ClickUp. And so that's why we went down that road. And then you've got team members in here. Does ClickUp have the ability to limit access mm-hmm. by team member to which pages or tables or whatever? You can do that. You can have guests as well, too. So that you can yeah. really like guests could be invited to very specific spaces or team members can be removed from other spaces that you don't want them in. It's interesting, Mike, that you've really kind of got away from traditional Mac and Apple applications. And you had said earlier, part of it's your business. You know, folks want to hear about apps they can use on their PCs, too. But um, are there any other reasons why you've kind of gone down the web route on this stuff? Not really. That was the big reason. I mean, I love using tools that more people can use. And I wanted to, and I think maybe as I wanted to distance myself a bit from the, you know, the Apple productivity space to a degree, because first off, there's some people that do amazing work in that space. Uh, you know, the suite setup uh, is one. I mean, you do great work on that as well, obviously. But I think that uh, I wanted to appeal to a wider a wider group. But I also think that in some instances, the the tools that are there's a lot of innovation going on in third-party development web-wise that wasn't happening before. Like the same kind of stuff that we were seeing inside of the, you know, the Apple ecosystem where third-party developers were really, you know, taking things to that level to the point where, you know, we were seeing third-party developers get, you know, their apps, you know, Apple's going, hey, we would like to do this too. Would you like to, uh, you know, uh, be part of that. Like they, you know, shortcuts, I think was an example of that, right. Where they, where they adopted that and launch center pro was another one that was fantastic. I still use that um, or I used to use it until it was no longer really a viable option. So I think that's the primary reason is just, I wanted tools that more of my team could use without that friction there. But I mean, when it comes to my own stuff, I mean, I'm, 
I have to tell you, the the I'm using LumaFusion on my iPad for YouTube videos, but I'm using iMovie right now <laughs> because number one, it can handle it. But number two, it's familiar. I use drafts for writing. It's where all my writing goes um, initially. And that's an iOS, uh, that's an iOS and Mac, Mac only really at this point. So I, I have expanded my horizons a bit, but you know, if someone was to say, oh, you should get a, a, a <laughs> an Android tablet, I would be like, what are you talking about? I, th- we don't want that. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Todoist for your personal tasks. That's where I am as well. Uh, what drew you to Todoist? And if people haven't checked it out, what are some, some favorite things about it? Uh, well, Todoist has that Apple-esque kind of... Uh, UI to it to me like it was the one that felt the most um, Apple centric I mean I used to use OmniFocus and things and and um, and I still love what OmniFocus is doing and 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 you know even the cultured code folks as well but what I liked about Todoist again multi-platform was great I did love the fact that um, the labeling was fantastic the sh- the ability to share projects was really important to me because I do use it with coaching clients, like some coaching clients that want to start using a to-do list app. That's where we go. We don't use, you know, I mean, if they use ClickUp or Asana, I can help them with it or any of those other tools. But I will actually work with them instead of communicating via email or anything like that. We actually communicate inside of Todoist. I love the fact some of the interesting things is you can record audio as attachments to comments and tasks. So when I'm working with a client, Instead of just leaving a comment, I can say, uh, hey, so-and-so, I uh, just want to check in, see how things are going, and they get to hear my voice, which is, and then I'm showing a feature of Todoist, but they're also kind of happy that they hear from me. Another feature I love is um, the favorites. So you can actually set up your uh, sidebar in the way that you want to work. So I don't look at the today view very often, Stephen. I look at, I start with one of the other custom views I've created based on filters, which is Another feature I really love is the ability to create custom filters that I can say, oh, today's Monday, what's Monday's focus? I can click on that favorite filter and I can see what I should be focusing on today. And then finally, one that I think some people, and I know that that we've seen this in OmniFocus too with perspectives, is uh, the ability, location-based stuff in Todoist is fantastic. Like it's worked right out of the box. So if I want to pick up like, you know, a, a bottle of scotch that I found online that I really am interested in. I can, instead of saying, I want to pick it up on Tuesday, I can say, can you remind me when I'm close to, you know, the liquor store uh, that I want to look at, see whether or not I can pick up this bottle of scotch. I won't get a reminder on a day. I'll get a reminder at a location, either when I arrive or just after I leave. So before I get too far away. Uh, So I like all those, but it's a simple, clean interface that I think is really, really important. Are you doing anything with web automation in Todoist? That's one thing that drew me to it is I could have Zapier keeping yep. an eye out for things on the web and then adding to my tasks list automatically. A little bit. Uh, I know that Obsidian and Todoist have a nice little integration that Mike Schmitz introduced me to, and I thought that was rather compelling. So I'm playing more with automation in Todoist than with, say, some of the other tools because it's cleaner. So I haven't really played too much with the one you're mentioning. I haven't really done too much with, but I mean, I do have a, a Zapier account that I that I love, uh, kind of tapping into with with other tools and connecting the dots. I'm trying to think of which ones are are the ones that I kind of am enamored with. I can't think of any offhand that kind of because again, I spend more time in ClickUp than in Todoist to be sure. honest at yeah. this point because the personal tasks are there. But I have played a bit with the automation, and and I think that. Again, this is one of the advantages of the web stuff, right? Like, you know, you can find things and quickly tether them 
Uh, Obsidian would be the great example. I can capture stuff in Obsidian and then, you know, I can have that that two-way street happening with Todoist as well, which I, I find rather fascinating. Yeah, if you're going to go down the road of these web apps, you definitely need to check out Zapier because that's the glue between them all. And suddenly you can say, you know, when I create a new project, you know, in one app, web app, you know, like your task manager, go over to my communications app and create a tag or, you know, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do when you start tying these together. Well, and, and the other thing is, I, I would say where automations kick in for me is using Siri on my phone, like uh, add such and such to Todoist and it it knows what to do, right? So those yeah. shortcuts, like those things there have been really helpful too. So, because I do love, and I know David, you're a fan of this too. I love dictation. I love like using my voice because I can get a lot more done quickly with my voice. So I will, I mean, hopefully I don't wake it up right now it's sitting next to me, but um, I will get it. To, I will use my voice to get some of that stuff to happen. And I think that's a form of automation that, uh, that, uh, that I use probably more than any other is just that, that level of leveraging the iOS devices for stuff like that. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they have everything you need to build a website. You get cutting-edge design and world-class engineering. Squarespace just makes it easier to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. You start with professionally designed templates and use drag-and-drop tools to make them your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, everything with just a few clicks. And of course, all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content just automatically adjusts so it looks great on any and every device. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch, nothing to upgrade. You have 24-7 customer support just waiting to help you. You have a system to easily grab a unique domain name, and they have all the tools you'll need for SEO and email marketing as well. I can't say enough good things about Squarespace. It really is as easy to use as drag and drop. In a way, there's something very Mac-like about Squarespace. You just drop in a photo and it knows what size it should be and it knows how the layout should change. You don't have to worry about those details. You can focus on your content. Head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name that's squarespace.com slash MPU. And we decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Mac power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the show. All right, Mike, one of the, the themes, you know, first you've got this productivity website and you spend a lot of time talking about being productive and focused. And I know you spend a lot of time with your tech, but you also spend a lot of time thinking about your tech I'd like to just take a, a moment to step back and consider where does the technology help you and hurt you? Hmm. So I would say the technology helps me in terms of creating uh, seamless processes that I can pass on to my teammates. So text expander is a great example of that. Being able to have quick answers to uh, questions that may be, might be asked. That's a fantastic, uh, you know, kind of uh, tool uh, that that a technological tool that I think really helps. I have to say like a tool like drafts, the fact that I can use it on any device and it picks up exactly where I left off, 
is another way that technology helps me because there's no friction. Like if I'm, you know, out for a walk and I think of something, I, you know, dictate it into drafts and then I know it's going to be on my, all my devices. So I think that that's a big, big help. Um, and then again, like the timular, like tracking, I can see that that's not only telling me where my time is going, but if I need to make any alterations to things like what are my daily themes? Am I living up to them? Things like that. Um, journaling tools that are technologically based. I mean, I wouldn't be keeping, I, I, I'll tell you up front, I, I don't think I've ever said this, but if, if it wasn't for digital journaling apps, I would not be keeping a journal because by the end of the day, I would be too tired to write things out. So the fact that I can record it using, you know, my voice and have it show up on a screen. So all that like lowered friction has been helpful where it hurts is the managing first off i think the managing of notifications and having to keep on top of that stuff because every time there's an update it you know things can reset we talk about automation i think zapier is a fantastic tool and the reason i think it is is if something breaks automation wise i know where to look whereas if there's other automation set up and let's say one app and this used to happen a lot with evernote they would you know make an adjustment all of a sudden it would break the automations then you're spending time, you know, kind of figuring out where things broke. I think that's where it can be, it can hinder you or hurt, but having the awareness of both where it helps and where it hurts really can help you stay productive and then mitigate any of the problems going forward. So I know that, you know, when, uh, like if I want to put my phone in do not disturb mode, I can say, you know, Hey, put this in do not disturb mode because one time it, you know, the phone rang when I was on a call, I can say, Hey, you know, Siri, put this in do not disturb mode and it would, right? So things like that, I think is, is where, where those lines and those lines are very, um, they can be blurred, but by and large, I'd say that's where I, I feel it, it, those lie for me. Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep your head screwed on yep. the, the technology is a big help, but just whenever it becomes a distraction is when you need to step away. Yep. And, and, and I know that a distraction if left unchecked can become a diversion and diversions are like the rabbit holes, right? Like they're the things that you're like, Oh, how did I get here? Where am I now? I mean, I have tools like mental tools to bring me back to where I know I should be. But the first thing I try to do is, okay, how did I get here? And how do I make sure I don't go there again? And I don't think enough people do that. I think, I think people just get back to where they were, you know, like, well, what was I working on? Or, or let me go check email or something like that to kind of recenter themselves, but they're not really recentering themselves permanently. Like they're not future proofing it. Whereas, you know, I know, oh, I need to, you know, I need to make sure that this doesn't happen again, or I need to try to do what I can to make sure I don't get distracted again, because you're going to get disrupted. I think like, I mean, my kids are going to be home for the summer now. I know there's going to be instances where my kids might disrupt me, but if I can put protocols in place to keep me from when I do get disrupted or distracted, that'll allow me to get back to what I know I should be focusing on. That's the key. And that's, that's, I think, what gets undervalued and often underutilized when people are, you know, in their work and trying to stay productive. Amen, brother. Um, you, you're also uh, doing a lot more YouTube these days. Yep. Yeah, I've uh, I kind of decided that I've done a lot of audio. I mean, my podcast as of this recording is over 375 episodes of the Productivityist podcast. And that's just I mean, I remember. I've been podcasting for over 10 years. This the, the the new podcast, which of course, as you mentioned, is being retitled a productive conversation. We have over six million downloads as of this. So I mean, audio I'm covered. I mean, I've got episodes ready to go. So I know that that's one area. 
my written stuff, I've been writing for years too. But video was the area that I always kind of neglected. I would have false starts and stops on my YouTube channel. And I finally decided, you know what? I want to do this mainly because my audience said, we want to see more of you. And I wanted to show stuff rather than always tell it. So for the month of June, I spent the first three weeks basically posting short videos every day with the idea that I knew I wasn't going to do that that, because that wasn't going to be sustainable, especially if I wanted to make longer videos. So just recently, I actually had a live planning session where I planned my week. And one of the things I said I was going to plan was um, come up with a decision on what my content strategy was going to look like. And I took it to social media and I asked everybody and I kind of knew what I wanted to do anyway. And they just validated it. So we're we're going to be posting three times per week to YouTube. I have my my son who is a YouTube expert because he watches YouTube a lot. Come on. And he <laughs> said, you should post every other day, dad. And I'm like, great. And so I timed it based on when I do other things, like when my email newsletter attention comes out or when my podcast comes out. And really to do it every other day, it means Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday is when I'm going to be posting videos. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the process of creating. I'm not so concerned about the algorithm and keyword search. I'm doing some due diligence on that part, but I, I want to keep it fun because if I can keep it fun, then I can do exactly with YouTube what I did with the podcast, which is be consistent, keep it sustainable, and you know help a lot of people along the way and, and, and have fun doing it. So what's your tech stack to, uh, to make all these videos, Mike? So I have a, a Panasonic Lumix G85. I actually have two of them, but uh, I use two when I'm doing a, a live stream. Um, but I have one that's mounted uh, in my, uh, just outside my closet with a light behind it. I have a couple of panel lights. Uh, one is the Elgato key light, which is one that is front facing right behind my iMac. And then another one are these newer N-E-W-E-E-R uh, panel lights that's in my closet. Uh, I have a Rode NT1 USB mic, so it actually plugs into the Lumix camera. But the reason I got that one is it also could be used as a podcasting. You can plug it directly into a USB slot. So by doing that, and this is, again, think future-proofing, when I travel, if I decide that I want a podcast, I now have a microphone I can bring with me that I can podcast with. So that's my primary camera. And then I use, of course, my iPhone uh, along with Filmic Pro to do overhead shots if I want to do an overhead shot of me planning my week or showing off like the Tomula or something like that. And then for multicam, I use the A10 Mini Pro, which has four inputs and I can I can have it, you know, go to uh, whatever camera I want. I have a Stream Deck. Uh, I think everyone does now, don't they? Uh, <laughs> a stream deck yeah. as well so i can control a lot of stuff that way a little small monitor so i can see what's going on and then in order to stream i use ecamm live for streaming and in terms of editing videos i use the LumaFusion on my ipad and i use imovie as for right now on my uh, imac but i am starting to dabble a little bit with davinci resolve um, because it's free and it uh, really does do a lot of great stuff. I, I had looked at Final Cut. And I used to use Final Cut Express back in the day. But I think Apple did kind of stagnate on the Final Cut series stuff. And, you know, I know Adobe Premiere is a big deal, but I didn't want to get locked into the creative suite. So that's why I'm looking at DaVinci Resolve. That's kind of all the stuff that I use for uh, for my videos. Honestly, I would encourage you with everything you're doing to really look at Final Cut because that magnetic timeline, I've been doing a lot of editing in Final Cut the last few months. Mm -hmm. And once you kind of 
get what they're doing, it makes it so fast. When it, it is, when was the most recent update to it? Because I mean, I haven't paid attention. Like, I have to be like honest. A couple I paid of weeks attention. ago, I mean, it was a point update, but just a few weeks ago, they did another update to it. So I'll definitely I'll definitely give it a look because that's how I got into the Mac in the first place. I was using I wanted to get a Mac because I was doing video. This is gosh, fifteen years ago. Because I wanted to do more video editing. And that was why I got into my first Mac was an eMac because it's all I could really afford at the time. And I got <laughs> final, I got iMovie and then I got Final Cut Express. And that was the reason I switched was video editing. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, I mean, I'd love to get back into it. So I'll check it out because it, I haven't landed on anything yet. And the fact that I'm using iMovie a lot on my iMac and playing with it, it's worth definitely exploring for me. Although, you know, when, because your computer is pretty old, I mean, that new M1X computer you buy probably next year is going to, um, it's just going to, fl- it's going to fly through Final Cut. I mean, it's, am- I think I have the advantage of Apple Silicon when I'm using um, Final Cut. I don't know if I'd be as, as gung-ho on it if I was using a 2014 Intel Mac. Well, you, you know what? I think the other thing is I'm looking at this YouTube journey as the same as my podcast journey, right? Like when I started doing my podcast, I was editing it myself. I remember when Michael Schechter and I used to do mics on mics and then we did, uh, yeah. you know, and Schechter, he would, he ticked me off because he would do the show notes, but he used Terpstra's, uh, one of Terpstra's, uh, uh, Brett Terpstra's, uh, short, like macros and was able to get the show notes done in like five minutes. Meanwhile, here I am in GarageBand editing the audio of the show. So I was like the guy who edited the audio. And I did that for long enough until I finally found somebody who wanted to do it for me. As soon as they, and by the way, as soon as that happened, this is the one great thing about delegating is they did it and they did it better than I did. I never thought I could let that thing go. I let it go. And now if as soon as that last producer left, I'm like, I have to find another producer. Like, I don't want to, I know I could do this. I don't want to, someone else could do it. I think the same thing is going to happen with video is I'm doing it all myself right now. And I always want to be able to kind of do it, get my hands dirty, but I'm willing to be patient enough as I learn, you know, get more acquainted with the way iMovie is now. Cause when I first, I remember old iMovie from back in the day, the new iMovie I'm playing, I'm getting more comfortable with it. And that, if that's the case, and I know, you know, then, I could very easily see myself editing because I know what I want to see and what I want my videos to look like. And then who knows down the line, I could be outsourcing some of that stuff, but I feel this is going to be a lot of the same path that I did with my podcasting that I think the YouTube journey is going to be very similar. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're really not getting into this to be a nerd to edit video. You're doing it. The edit part is just kind of edit added work as a result (laughs) of the task. Yep. For sure. What are some challenges that you've come across uh, with this new idea for the YouTube channel? Uh, <laughs> the I think the biggest thing for me is um, it's new to me. So figuring out the time to to not only film, but also edit, storyboard, all that stuff. Because uh, my background in the creative arts is is improv. So I'm quite good at improv, but the problem is, is you can't rely solely on improv. Like, you know, that's not the way the pros work. I mean, whether you're, uh, you know, making videos or giving talks like I do on stage, like it'll only get you so far. And then, and then all of a sudden you need to go, Oh, you know what? I should probably be rehearsing this a little bit more. So that's been a challenge. I'm actually taking Matt Diavello's master YouTube course right now, because I want to learn from somebody who's not only done it, but done it the way that I kind of want to do it. Um, another thing, and this is purely mental. Stephen is 
it's too late. I've started so late. YouTube's taken off right now. Why should I bother? Like all that stuff, which just is a signal to me when I really think about it, that this is just going to be harder work to do. And I'm enjoying the process anyway. And just, you know, keep doing it, like just keep going, which is why I posted daily. Initially, I wanted to get the flywheel spinning. And then I think it's just the learning curve. Like, you know, how do I, you know, I mean, the, my, one of the first videos I shot was called, um, I wasn't focused like you could uh, my background was completely focused because the Panasonic cameras are notoriously bad at at autofocus. And so uh, I was going to toss that video altogether, but instead I kind of rejigged it and made it a bit more creative. But there is an actual app for the Panasonic cameras that allow you to Bluetooth or sorry, wirelessly connect to your iOS device so you can actually control it and I can autofocus just by tapping on my iPad screen. So I'm using that because I I don't want to be reaching. I can't reach quite far enough to tap the screen to focus. So the learning curve, I think, has been is going to be the the challenge and will continue to be until, you know, because I want to keep stretching myself. But setting aside the time and then being okay with the slow growth journey, I think, has been the biggest challenges. But I'm going to continue to face them because it's the only way I'm going to be able to make this work. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I would encourage people to do if they have third-party cameras is look at the manufacturer's websites. Like, you know, Panasonic has an app. Sony, I just recently discovered, has a really good app to help stabilize video that Mm -hmm. is free if you own a Sony camera, but I didn't know it was out there. And um, a lot of these third-party cameras are trying to turn that into a selling point with their cameras. So if you're going to spend the money on a camera make sure you check out that they may have something and they seem to always have a mac app in addition to pc the the user interfaces are almost always ugly um figuring out how they work is seems always a little cryptic but they do a good job whatever they were designed to do yeah i mean i was i mean the panasonic app is really good and if you have a panasonic camera although i know most people use sony and canon because their autofocus is great and all the youtubers generally talk about those ones uh, if you have a Panasonic, then yeah, you're, I mean, get the app because focus, autofocus can be an issue. And again, you don't need to go crazy with, I mean, the, I filmed a lot of stuff on this iPhone. I filmed stuff before on my, uh, you know, my iPhone eight plus, but the, I mean, you could get by, I mean, I could totally film everything on this iPhone 12 pro and be fine with it. But, uh, there's just something about using, um, like an actual camera that I'm really enjoying. And I mean, again, it's not so much about the cameras as it is the lenses. Like you get a a good body, but it's the lenses that make a lot of the difference in the world. So, I mean, yeah, do your research and definitely go to the manufacturer's websites to see which, not only if they have an app, but maybe which camera is the best one for you to use, depending on what you're trying to do. And don't talk to Stephen Hackett because he'll convince you to buy another camera. Hey, that's that's what (laughs) I learned. (laughs) this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by setup more than 200 powerful apps for your mac try it free for a week just go to setup.com getting things done is a challenge that everyone struggles with one way to tackle it is to make sure you have the right tools and for your computer that means having the right apps setup is on a mission to help users get more done with setup there's no more worrying about having to search for apps to solve a problem Setup packs over 200 apps for your Mac and iPhone into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. So you can think about your tasks, not apps. I've been a Setup subscriber since they first launched, and I love it. I first signed up for Setup to get access to some of the big apps, Gemini, Ulysses, MindNote, and Clean My Mac, but 
over the years, I've really come to rely upon the little apps that show up and set up. No matter what problem I'm trying to solve or what utility I'm looking for, there's a good chance it's already in setup. Do you want to get more data on your computer? iStat Menus is in there. You want to manage your menu bar? Bartender's in there. You want to make your Mac do cool tricks? Better Touch Tool is in there. They just keep adding applications that I use every day. And not only is it more convenient, it's also a great value because instead of paying hundreds or even thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee. New apps are added to set up regularly. Updates are free and all apps are full featured pro versions. When you set up a new Mac, you just log into your setup account and start downloading apps. Head over to setup.com, that's S-E-T-A-P-P.com, to try setup for free for a week. If you like it, pay just $9.99 a month. That's setup.com. Our thanks to setup for their support of the Mac power users and all of Relay FM. So, Mike, one thing we like to do uh, at the end of our interview episodes is ask our guests for some favorites. These are apps and services that maybe we haven't gotten to mention in the course of the show. So some tools that people may need to know about. All right. Well, a couple of these are going to be iOS only. Actually, all of them are iOS. But if if there's any Android users out there, you're not going to be happy. Um <laughs> So I have one of the ones that I use every, these are all apps that I use every single day. So the first one is brew coffee and it's basically like a, uh, for pour overs and, and stuff like that. Cause I'm a bit of a coffee nerd is it's a timer that helps you, you know, kind of go, okay, well, how many grams of coffee am I putting in here? How much water do I need? But also the timing. So it actually is a timer and it kind of navigates how you should be, uh, you know, making your coffee in the morning if you're a pour over person like me. And the reason I like it is when I, I'm not a morning person at all. I'm a night owl. So I need to like have something kind of prompt me. So it dings when you're done the bloom and then it dings again when it's time to uh, let it drain and all that stuff. So um, that's one that I use every single morning. Do you think, do you think Apple has like a chart where they track the number of Apple nerds compared with, you know, coffee nerds? Like how many of their customers are like insane about coffee? I think I would think it's a large percentage. I, I would say so. I would definitely say so. And that's the, I mean, I hand grind my coffee in the morning too. And I know um, I was chatting with Mike Schmitz about this and he goes, really? Like that's going to be a lot of work, but it does wake me up a bit, but I am trying, I think I might get a, another gr- electric grinder for downstairs because sometimes one, you know, 30 grams of coffee beans isn't enough to carry me through the morning. Uh, but Steven, I think I, so, Dave. I don't think I've even ever asked you, Stephen. Have you gone down the rabbit hole of like coffee or tea or one of those things mm-hmm. that all the? I don't drink coffee. I used to, but I don't anymore. Yeah. Well, hey, you know me either. Maybe we need to shut the show down. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good run. Thanks, yeah. Mike, for ending it. <laughs> yeah. Another one um, that I love. And it's a different kind of habit tracking app, but I, I don't put habits that I'm trying to do consistently in my in Todoist or any of my to-do list apps because I feel that they, they if they live outside of it, they're kind of segmented a bit. And I think habit tracking apps are definitely uh, their own kind of niche to a degree is I have one called Hindsight. And I like it because it doesn't, um, it tells you the last time you did something. So for example, if I'm trying to, like right now, the habit I'm trying to break, and this is definitely related to YouTube is I'm a nail biter and I'm trying not to bite my nails. So I added that habit to hindsight and it and it asks you when the instance is that you last did it. So I can tell you right now when I look at mine that the last time as of this recording that I bit my nails was one week ago. So that's pretty good. 
Um, but I also can use it to track habits that are promising. So if I want to uh, invest time in my monk manual, the last time I did that was 21 hours ago when I was you know, going to bed. So I can, I can track both positive and negative habits in here. I rather like it because, it, you know, you can see, hey, I haven't done this in a long time and that's good. Or I haven't done this in a long time. That's not so good. So I really like this one. It's called Hindsight. I don't think you ever explained what your monk manual is. <laughs> My monk manual is a paper planner. It basically, it's a paper planning tool that I like. And and uh, it, it allows me to kind of, I believe productivity is about pairing your intention with your attention. That's at its core what I believe productivity is. And the monk manual, I've looked at a whole bunch of different paper planners and when the monk manual folks reached out to me and said, Hey, we really, you know, we really like your work and they like the message that I share about intention and attention. When I looked at their, 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 uh, planner, which is a 90 day planner. And it's not, again, it's not inexpensive. It just was, it spoke to me. So, uh, that's what I use. And I, I generally at, as part of my evening routine every night, I go through it, I map out my next day, and then I will use it to kind of somewhat guide my day. Although I tend to use the analog card cards more, more for that sort of thing. Yeah. I played with a lot of these over the years and I, I just keep coming back to digital tools for it for me. Yep. Yeah, no. And I, it, but, but the digital tool that I use for journaling, which is my last one that I want to mention is called reflection. And it's made by the same people who do the Holstie manifesto. I don't know if you ever heard of that, the company called Holstie. Um, and I like, I used to use day one and I think it's a fantastic journaling tool, but what I liked about reflection is that besides the fact that it's it's platform you know agnostic i do like the fact that it does have the monthly reflection piece built into it so you can actually reflect on you know your previous months it walks you through a series of prompts it's a bit more comprehensive and i really did like that especially as somebody who's trying to get more people to journal because i think journaling is one of the most undervalued and kind of underused productivity hacks or tools that are out there um, that's why I use reflection. I really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's on, I, I have it on my phone. Um, but I also, it's also web-based, so you could use it on the web as well. Do you know if it is end to end encrypted? That I, you know what? I don't know offhand. I don't yeah. know. That's worth checking out. I do not know. Yeah. I do think encryption is really important for, for a digital planner. Um, but what, that's one of the saving graces of day one getting purchased because, oh. Here it is. Your account is only accessible by you with SSL. Your we with SSL, your entries are protected in transit and our database and on our database, your entries are encrypted at storage. That's what it says. It sounds like that's end to end, but it's funny they didn't say end to end. They didn't say end to end because <laughs> end to end means encrypted in transit and at rest, but they didn't say it. That's odd. But anyway, um, but yeah, I mean that's one of the saving graces of day one being purchased because everything is end to end you you're still safe you know? yeah <laughs> well I, I that's good to know that there are other apps out there for this um and i agree with you one of our very first shows after the, you know the steven era began was a whole show on day one because i think we both are big believers in journaling whether it be digital or or with a you know paper planner or whatever it is that floats your boat um it's a great way to kind of hold it together if you stop and pay attention to yourself once a day yeah, I mean, as somebody who struggled with a weekly review as the part of getting things done when I was a pure GTD practitioner, the weekly review is always a bit of a struggle. And journaling kind of helps, you know, I wouldn't say speed up the process, but it allows you to course correct a whole lot faster if you're if you're journaling throughout your uh, your journey. And uh, it's been a huge help for me. 
yeah, I mean, I still do a review process of all my projects, but I find the week review is where it's the macro level where I mm-hmm. can step back and see, okay, what's the theme here? Like last week wasn't very productive for me. I, I went and got, I went and got the shingles vaccination. That's an old man problem, right? I thought, what's a big deal? A little vaccination. I was down for like a day and a half. That thing just like knocked me out. And so looking back last week, I wasn't as productive and there was like a theme to it. And you don't see that in project review, but you do see that with a with a review process, like one of these planners or day one or reflection or whatever, you know, your your weapon of choices. I've always said that if the calendar offers the directory of your days and the to-do list offers the details of your days, then the journal tells the story of your life. That's kind yeah. of the way I look at it. Mike, you're so poetic. You're so poetic. <laughs> All right. Well, either way, uh, I am. I continue to be impressed with the work you put out in the world, Mike Vardy. Uh, gang, I recommend you head over to productivities.com or mikevardy.com. Both are going to get you to Mike's excellent content. Mike does videos. He's got newsletters. He's got a lot of help for people who are trying to like pull it together and very common sense advice, which I love about you, Mike. You can also check out the Productivities podcast about to become a Productive Conversation podcast, also at the same website. Anywhere else people should go to check you out, Mike? No, that's, I mean, I'm on social media as Productivity or at Mike Vardy. You'll find me, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Before we go, I want to let people know about another show here on Relay FM, and that is Roboism by our friends Alex and Kathy. They explore how things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and digital assistance are affecting our culture. Explore the humanity behind the bots that are quickly becoming a part of everyday life. You can find it wherever you get your podcast uh, or visit relay.fm slash roboism. Yeah, I'll second that. Roboism is a great show. And we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today. That's our friends at 1Password, Sanebox, Squarespace, and Setup. Well, look at that. Setup's a sponsor. They came out in editorial content today, too. Good for them. Uh, anyway, we're the Mac Power users. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.